Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Get it checked, boy. You want the sideline? You ain't made the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. You bitting on me? What's the topic of discussion? What you talking about? Take your best shot. I'ma take the last shot. I'm Jordan in the clutch, boy. You bitting on me? It's time to get it checked, boy. You want the sideline? You ain't made the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. You bitting on me? What's the topic of discussion? What you talking about? All righty, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Auto Bid. My name is Aaron Robinson, and I'm joined by my twin brother, Andrew Robinson. And today, we got a special guest. We got George Mason head coach, Kim English. So, Coach, thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it, what all you guys are doing. Now, we appreciate you coming on with us, Coach, man. And uh, got a lot to talk about, man, so we definitely want to Jump right into it, man. But before we do that, you want to remind you guys, as always, to make sure you guys are uh, subscribing to this podcast. Give us a rating. Uh, five stars only, please. Uh, if you listen to this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcast, wherever you listen to us at, man, please uh, tell a friend and tell a friend about the auto bid. And make sure you guys are streaming my guy, Pull Up Tay's music. That was him on the intro. It's going to be him again on the outro. Um, so make sure you guys are streaming my guy's music, man. It's going to be uh, one of the hottest up-and-coming artists uh, in the DMV area, man. But... Speaking of that DMV area, uh, Kim English is a is a actually a coach is from uh, Baltimore, so technically uh, not the DMV, but uh, we'll, we'll 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 go ahead and give him a pass since he is coaching down there at George Mason. But um, coach man, I mean you you are um you're somebody who was who's gotten off to an extremely fast start in your coaching career, man. But you're also a, a heck of a player, man. For those who don't know, definitely go on YouTube and uh look up my guy highlights from back in the day, man. But I, I want to rewind um back to um to 2015 when you decided to finally transition from um, playing uh, after you, you played in, in the NBA for a year with the Pistons and uh, played a number of years overseas and you decided to get into coaching. I mean, talk about, you know, w- what that moment was like for you when you decided to, 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 to you know, transition from um, playing to coaching. Um, you, you, you've heard, uh, spoken and said that it wasn't necessarily a hard decision, man. And for, for somebody who's, you know, um, had to make the transition obviously from playing to the media, uh, I think it was it was a little bit harder for me, but you know, speak to me about you know what was going through your mind at that time and what that transition period was like for you. You know, it was a it was a pretty smooth transition for me. It's actually a transition that I wanted to make a full year earlier. Um, my focus was the NBA. I loved the NBA, the learning, the experience, the everything about the NBA is just so good. It's just the highest level in the world. Um, I really didn't have any motivation or want to play in Europe, but all of my coaches, um, you know, told me to keep playing because it was easy. I'm young. Uh, it was easy money. I could have kept playing until I was like 40, honestly. Uh, but my passion was NBA basketball and then my passion was coaching. So it was honestly the, the hardest part of the decision was to decide if I wanted to go the NBA front office or coaching route or the college coaching route. And, um, you know, I was in limbo there for a few months and back and forth with Philly. Uh, I was close to taking a job working with Sam Hinkie and Brett Brown at the Sixers. Um, but uh, all 
ultimately ended up going the college route um, and working with uh, Coach Frank Hay at Tulsa. And it was a great decision. Um, spearheaded my career with someone that I know and trust and know and trusted me. And I really got to learn the business of college basketball quickly, which has helped me ever since. So I kind of want to follow up on that, man. I mean, as a kid, as a Hooper, man, everybody's dream is to make the NBA. Like, you know, I want to, I want to get to the league. And you talked about this a little bit in your press conference uh, when you were introduced as a head coach at George Mason. How do you compare that accomplishment and making it to the league and finally suiting up to now where you just finished up your first year as a Division One head coach? And, you know, that's quite the accomplishment given the age that you are. You know, you're still, you know, very young. Um, how would you compare those two accomplishments, you know, and the feeling you had, you know, making it to the league? And then now, despite the fact, you know, you're like, like, like I mentioned, you're, you're, you're young and you have a lot, many more years of coaching ahead of you. You know, how did you kind of compare those two uh, accomplishments? Well, you know, both, both obviously great accomplishments, um, you know, very hard to, you know, the NBA is 450 jobs, college basketball is 358. Um, and when you really think about it, it's less than that. Right, because there's about 150 jobs that you can't get, and there's about 125 jobs that you don't want. Right. So then it's, it's really like it ends up being like 50 jobs that everyone's fighting for, you know. Um, and incredibly thankful for the opportunity. But the biggest difference is when I got to the NBA, I thought it was dream realized, like you said. You know, I talked about it in my press conference, I talk about it ad nauseum. But I thought I had achieved my dream, and um, I couldn't have been more wrong. Because um, getting to the NBA should not be the goal. It should be, you know, withstanding and maintaining and playing, having a long career in the association. And that helped me in my transition to being a coach just quickly, right when I got into coaching. If anyone would have asked me, I never would have said it's my dream to be a college head coach. It's not. You know, it's my dream to run a highly successful program um, that's a championship contender, that's an NCAA qualifier year after year that's putting players in the NBA and, make, and making them a lot of money um, wherever it is um, post-college. Po, post so um, very similar in accomplishments, but my approach has changed mightily where I've not for one second thought I've made it because I was a 32-year-old head coach or whatever it may be. Now, Coach, I, I, I want to rewind for a second because – it's crazy. Drew and I were actually obviously at your press conference. We spoke to um, Brad Edwards and he was telling us, you know, how high he was on you as the coach. And he was saying, man, like, yo, one day, like, Kim is going to be an NBA head coach. Like, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that Kim is going to be um, in, in the NBA uh, coaching one day in some capacity. So to hear you say that you were, you know, wrestling with, you know, working with Philly with, with Brett Brown and Sam Hinkie, I mean, what was the difference? What made you kind of go the college route as opposed to, you know, going the NBA route? Cause I think your, your personality, um, would have fit the NBA and probably still does, will fit the NBA if you ever try to make that leap one day. But, I mean, taking, taking back to that moment, you know, what was going through your mind when you made that choice? Honestly, it was uh, and I have a really great relationship with Sam, good friends with Brett. It, it honestly came down to the fact I didn't think that the Philly ownership team would let Sam Hickey finish off his process. I didn't think they'd give him the time. I didn't want to be at a place where – you know, the person that hired me wasn't there anymore. Um, shortly into my career at Tulsa, Sam Hinkie was let go. Um, you know, and Frank gave me, Coach Hayes gave me a great opportunity to grow and touch every aspect of the program. Um, and I kind of wanted to cut my teeth in college first. 
Um, and then honestly, it was, a, it was a humbling thing to say, but I had success in college. I didn't have success in the NBA. I wanted to learn in a place where I felt like I had a little bit more credibility um, with the athletes at the moment. Whereas in my, my learning of the game and understanding of the game would have, in my personal, I think I would have garnered respect from NBA players, but um, I felt more comfortable in college as I grew in the, the profession. Now, with that being said, you know, talking about just, you know, you know, uh, being comfortable and things like that. This is your first year, obviously, that you just finished up and looking back on your first year. I mean, what are some things that, that you've learned? Uh, just kind of just like just thinking back on the year that you've had, like you mentioned, um, just what was this first year like for you, man, stepping into that role as a head coach and then being able to kind of sit back a year later and just think back on, on what you've learned and just the whole journey? Yeah, so many firsts, right? So many firsts, so many things I've learned and I've kind of taken this off season to try to uh, compartmentalize those things I've learned and and make decisions on how we're going to be better as a program, how I'm going to be better as a head coach moving forward from decisions in games to recruiting decisions um, to portal decisions to roster management to staff delegation to scheduling. You know, so many things, so many mistakes I made. I think back to this season, you know, and I – I feel like I was as prepared as you can be as thinking of every single scenario and contingency plan as one could be. But still, there's things that you can never pre prepare for until you're in that moment, in that chair, um, tasked with the challenge of making that decision. So we can do a whole nother podcast of me breaking down all the things that I've learned from mistakes and successes um, throughout this first season. But so much, so much, and, and, and an incredibly thankful for the opportunity and um, really excited to kind of go full steam in the year two. Definitely might have to take you over that offer one, one, one of these days in the future, man. Go ahead and do this one, like some film breakdown or, or something like that, or, or some game and things like that, man. We did that today. We've been, uh, we've been in our off season. We do two games a week of every, um, every two possession game that we had. Women mm -hmm. by two possessions, lose by two possessions. Um, and we'll watch the, the first, you know, about 28 minutes of the game in the morning. And then the afternoon, we'll watch the last 12 minutes of the game or so. And, you know, kind of sure up you know, some of those decisions, be together as a staff and those things. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, now, one thing I found interesting is that um, you were 32 years old when you got hired at George Mason for your first head coaching job. And, uh, so was Rick Barnes when he when he got his first coaching job at George Mason. He was also 32 years old, and obviously that was one of your mentors at University of Tennessee. Somebody you worked with for two seasons. I mean, I'm just wondering what what advice did he give you? You know, in, in taking that job at George Mason, and just also you know just being a first year head coach. I mean, um, well, just some things that he might he might have kind of shared to you uh, in 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 your first season. You know, he loves this place. He loves this place. And it, it was less about what he shared with me when we got the job here and more so just over my two years with him and my five years getting to know him even before I worked with him at, at Tennessee, which is how much he loved Northern Virginia and D.C. and Maryland and recruiting in this region. And he was not wrong. You know, he was not wrong. If Justin Fernandez had not went to IMG, 
I'm not sure I would have gotten on an airplane in the recruitment of our class in 2022. I, I had to get on an airplane once to see a kid we took out of Minnesota. But like everything you have from a player standpoint is right here. And uh, that's what he stressed the most. Um, he really, really, really believes in Mason and how far it's come in his first 50 years. And he was blown away when he came to campus last summer around this time how much it's grown and how much it's even grown. Well, I think in the next 10 or 15 years, um, I think Mason can be the premier uh, program in the region, the premier university in the region. I mean, that's a great segue into my next question, which is uh, obviously, you know, you guys had a, a matchup with one of the premier uh, universities in, in the DMV last year when you guys went on the road and got that one over Maryland and College Park. Talk about that moment for you, man, what was it like for you guys going on the road and getting that win? Because I can remember from a media perspective, you know, once you guys won that game, I mean, everybody was pretty much like, oh, like, you know, this is, this is, you know, because it came in this era is upon us. Like, those Mason's getting ready to take off and do all these crazy things. I mean, the buzz was palpable, as my guy John Rothstein would say. But just uh, talk about that win, that game for you guys. And just what do you think that meant, you know, for you guys to be able to say, like, you know, George Mason is, is you know, we're here. We're going to be able to contend with some of these big time. Uh, schools here in the DMV? Well, it's, the, the, the Bible says the exalted will be humbled. We <laughs> followed up that uh, great program win with a five-game losing streak. Um, so I guess the palpable buzz was popped. Um, <laughs> great, great, lot of great lessons to be had. One schedule, and I really thought, just from a roster standpoint, I thought we were better than Maryland. I, thought, I liked our roster better. and really, really wanted that game. Um, and to the point where we, we took it when we had some not so great things on the back end of that. You know, that game was originally slated to be on a Tuesday night. You know, we had James Madison on a Friday night there. Maryland had to move the game to Wednesday, which gave us 24 hours to prepare for a really, really good and really, really motivated James Madison team. Um, you know, so we, we, we followed that game up with a, a tough loss, a three-point loss at at James Madison, four-point loss at James Madison. Um, and uh, then we went to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to play three games in three days, and we lost all three. Uh, so some scheduling things that I learned about rest, especially at that juncture in the season, especially with a new team as you're trying to build habit, seeing culture and, 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 and just things that impact winning, but um, it was a great game for our program, for our fans, for our, our university. Um, Maryland's obviously a great program, national champion, you know, was a perennial Final Four team in the early 2000s. I grew up, you know, a Terrapin fan growing up in, in Baltimore, but um, a great night for our program, uh, a really good win for us. Coach, you mentioned, you know, your roster quite a bit. Uh, obviously, you, you guys have done a great job retooling uh, this season. Um, just obviously, we're able to keep the Tennessee pipeline going, adding Victor Bailey um, this season, after obviously adding Hollywood uh, ticket games uh, last year, and added John uh, Ojiaco from Virginia Tech, uh, Saquon Singleton from New Mexico, and then obviously you got the area guys, and Devin Higgins, and Justin Fernandez, and there's plenty more, but you know, can't name them all. But obviously, um, the roster you guys have this year, um, not, not to mention bringing back Joshua Duro, Davon Cooper, and Ticket. Uh, I mean, just talk to me about what you guys were able to do over this offseason and, you know, what, what the first impressions have been of your of your, of your roster, you know, over the past few weeks of workouts. You know, 
it's it's uh, we our biggest issue this season outside of the actual basketball things, you know, turnovers. Uh, we didn't shoot well from the free throw line. We didn't generate um, enough paint production this season to get to the free throw line more to get more twos. Um, we needed more depth. You know, I really, really, really liked our first group of guys. You know, uh, I thought Xavier Johnson turned himself into a really good college player. And, you know, he got some confidence shooting the ball. And I thought he really took a great step. I'm really excited to see what he does at Southern, Southern Illinois Carbondale. But, you know, Davon Cooper, Deshaun Schwartz, Josh Durrell, Devontae Gaines, I felt good about that um, four against anyone. Um, but as the season went on, they needed a break. And I didn't do a good enough job, you know, developing or trusting our depth on our bench. And so that was the absolute, no doubt about it, number one area of concern for us was to um, add depth at all positions. And we did that. And point guard, Saquon Singleton, uh, Devin Dinkins, Ronald Polite, you know, at the two, three, BJ Bailey, Davon Cooper, Devontae Gaines, Justin Fernandez, you know, and 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 at the forward spots, Josh Darrow, obviously, Ginnika, Ojiako, uh, Elvis Naji, Blake Jones, Peter Duro. We addressed, we have depths at all three spots on the court, backcourt, wing, and, and post. And that does a lot of things. One, it allow, allows guys to play harder for less periods of time. Um, and it allows you to make substitutions, you know, for mistakes, you know, particularly on the defensive end. We need to be a much better defensive team this season, and we will be. Now, this is kind of a, a two-parter question for you, Coach. Um, the first one is, I remember last season, you know, one of the things that you really harped on was that, like, George Mason is not a mid-major. Like, you would, you would respond to guys on Twitter and say, you know, we're not a mid-major. And, I mean, it kind of reflects in, you know, your recruiting. You mentioned a guy by, you know, by the name of Justin Fernandez, who was top 100 guy. You guys be out a bunch of high, ma high majors for him. Um, so, I guess the first part of my question is, can you kind of elaborate on why you feel like George Mason isn't a mid-major and what you think separates you guys um, into that maybe high major or other category? And Well, I think it's a very slippery slope. Like a mid-major, high major. But the one thing it's not is it's, it's no such thing as power five when you're talking college basketball, right? Because you're eliminating Villanova. You're eliminating Gonzaga. Like, I don't think that's wise to eliminate two year-in-year -year title contenders. So... Powerful. When you talk mid-major, high-major, I think it's very, it's 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 very hard. It, 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 it's very hard. But all I know is that you know when I obviously I played at Missouri when I was at Tulsa we were in the American Athletic Conference. That's the same league as UConn and Cincinnati and Houston and Memphis. Obviously, I coached in the Pac-12. Um, uh, I coached in the SEC. Nate Thomason was at Colorado. Dennis Felton, the head coach of Georgia, was with San Antonio Spurs. Um, all I know, our ops guy was at the University of Virginia. Dwayne Simpsons played at the University of Maryland. Um, our GAs were at Virginia. That, 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 I don't know what mid-major basketball looks like. I don't know what it, how it operates. We travel on charter flights. You know, our guys have very impressive NIO packages. Um, you know, the way we emphasize things in practice aren't, aren't any different than the way we do, we did at Tennessee or Missouri or Colorado. Um, 
the guys that we target are being targeted by some of the best programs in the country. So it's just, if it is, if it is, or if it isn't, it's not operated any other way than college basketball is at the highest level um, from preparation to get you to the next level. So that's, that's really all that matters. Um, and we're in the same league as Dayton, right? The, the St. Louis, you know, some, some very, 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 high-level program, now in Loyola, Chicago, you know, so, um, so yeah, it is what it is, you know, I think it's tough when you get to leagues like the Atlantic 10, because there is such differences in investment uh, and resources and programs, but all I know is the top of the Atlantic 10, that's where we want to be, operates at the highest level of, of college basketball, you get to see it in scheduling. You get to see it in scheduling because it's very, very hard. Um, those teams don't want to play us. You know, we're, this, this past season, we, we played Kansas, played Georgia and Maryland. Three of what people would say are high major program with two and one in those those two games. One loss being the national champion. And the, I guess the, the second part of my question would be like, you know, when you're going after, you know, you mentioned the the a bunch of the recruits that are here in DMV area. You mentioned you have every, everything that you need here. And like I said, you mentioned uh, Justin Fernandez. Like, what is your pitch to those guys, to those high-level guys, you know, top 100 guys that are residing here, you know, at PVI and two takeover guys that may be these top 50 recruits? And you're like, man, no, nah, we can get you here at George Mason. Like, what is your pitch to those guys out there? It's a long sell. You know, it's years in the making. But it, it's it's less of a, a pitch, as you would imagine, and more of just an understanding, you know, getting them on campus and getting them to see a practice. I love – when they get to see an ACC or Big East practice uh, and they get to come see us practice. They, they see there isn't any different. I mean, there actually isn't. You know, we have two players that have played in the SEC. You know, a guy that was a thousand points score in the Pac-12, another guy that's played in the ACC. You know, so they, they, they see that there's not a difference in the actual bodies, but it's more so just in and, and, and showing them the opportunity that they have as an individual and, and us as a team, the opportunity they have to play, uh, the, the, the focus to improve and develop and just the cultivating and the nurturing of their mindset, you know, because that's what it takes to get to the next level. And when I talk NBA, um, I'm not guessing. I'm not making up. I'm not telling you what I think it feels like or what it looks like or what I've heard what a player I've coached, and I have, I've coached seven NBA guys in my, my, my career, but uh, I'm telling you what I know, you know, what it actually feels like. And it's that type of hands-on, you know, intimate, boutique-like, I guess, approach to, uh, to uh, the development of our players. We're talking about obviously um, recruiting the area, but you know you have to also have to recruit your own players. And this is the second year in a row that you kind of had to recruit uh, Josh Oduro. Well, I guess the first year you actually had to recruit him back, and then this year he was going through his draft process and trying to figure out what he was going to do. I mean, you know, just what has that been like? And just talk to me about you know how important you know he was you know this last year, and then you know just just the impact that he's had um, in, in his time here at George Mason, man. Because obviously I was at a lot of your games, and, and it. it his growth from when I saw him, you know, last year under Paulson to this year was staggering. And I know he's probably, you know, you've probably seen him, you know, more than anybody over the past few days, few weeks, and I'm sure he's probably gotten even, even better. So talk to me a little bit about, about what it's been like, obviously just having him and kind of having to re-recruit him in, um, in a way over the past two years. 
Well, we didn't have to re-recruit him this year. This year, I was 100 million percent on his side to go through the process. He had a workout for the Wizards. Um, he had to go through a pre-draft workout process, writing every day, like preparing for that and interview prep and basketball work and getting better. I mean, if he would have heard first round, he would have been gone and we would have been as big as cheerleaders. Um, and he decided it was best for him to come back and continue his growth. Um, but the recruitment last year, I mean, when we got here, you know, we wanted everyone. We didn't tell anyone to leave. And we lost some really good players. Uh, Jordan Miller played in the Elite Eight in Miami. Tyler Kovac, I think, led the Big East in assists at, Mar at Marquette. A.J. Wilson went to South Carolina. Javon Green went to South Florida. Like, four really, really good players. Um, uh, Greg Kalix went to the NCAA tournament at Bryant. Um, but I thought Josh was a very, very, very important piece. And he got a lot of our focus and attention. Um, you know, because I felt like you could replace guards, you replace wings. I'm not sure we could have replaced him uh, at that juncture. And uh, everything I thought he would be, he's even been 10 times more uh, because he's that good of a person and a teammate and a student. And he's just a total package. Uh, he will play in the NBA one day. His production in college is almost identical to Grant Williams, almost identical to Grant Williams. Dominant inside player, you know, beginning to stretch his game. Um, he's going to take another step this offseason and I think have a really, really good uh, last um, last go around at Mason this next year. Speaking of the A-10, you know, I couldn't remember a time, I believe it was 2014-15, uh, when the A-10 had like five teams in the NCAA tournament. You know, last year they were a two-bid league. You know, this year you're bringing Lower Chicago in, who's a perennial NCAA tournament team. For you, what is it, what is it going to take for you guys to kind of get in that discussion where you guys are in that uh, discussion for an automatic bid or competing for an A-10 title or, you know, amongst the, the plethora of teams in A-10, you got Archie Miller that just came into the league at URI and, you know, Frank Dunphy's taking over at LaSalle. Like, Frank Martin at UMass who's been to the Final Four. I mean, the A-10 is going to be a bear of a conference uh, this upcoming year and going forward. You know, for you, what do you think you guys are going to have to do to kind of just get into the upper echelon of, of the A-10 and, you know, compete for auto bids? Well, we're always going to schedule that way. We're always going to schedule like we are. You build every roster with that in mind. Um, we're going to schedule that way to get in that large bid. When the game was supposed to win, we will be in that consideration. Um, and if we don't, it falls on me. Like I can't, I, I can't schedule soft, right? I ain't buying wins, right? We're going to open up our season at Auburn. We're going to play Boston College. We have another game against the uh, future Big 12 opponent in another year and another AAC opponent we just almost locked up. You know, so we're going to play really, really good teams. So to answer your question, we just got to win those games. You know, we, 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 we have the players, we think. You know, we have to put in the, the, the strategy and the, the, the discipline and the toughness and the focus to win those games. If you win those games going into league play, the this league play, you put yourself in great shape. If you can win 70-plus percent of those games in a non-conference, you can go into A-10 play. If you can finish in the top 10, you're right there. You know, Dayton fly if Richmond doesn't win, uh, the A-10 tournament, Dayton's in the NCAA tournament, the last team out. You know, obviously, Davidson did it. They won those games. You know, they beat Alabama out of the league. They have great wins. 
and conference play. You know, VCU was right there. So it's, it's very simple. You just have to win those games in your non-league. Just a quick follow-up to that as well, Coach. Um, obviously, you mentioned coaching in the Pac-12, coaching in the SEC. What was it like coaching in the A-10, like during conference playing, going through the schedules of the Dayton's and the Richmond's and Davidson's and just, just talking about the strength of the league, what that was like in your first year. And then obviously, like I mentioned, going forward, just um, just the strength of the league in the upcoming season when you're adding a little Chicago in there. Yeah, really good league, uh, really good coaches, uh, incredibly talented players. Um, and it's even going to take another shift with Loyola coming in, UMass new coach. Um, you know, Davidson, new coach, George Washington, new coach, LaSalle, new coach. Um, you know, so it's it's going to be some Fordham, a new coach. So that, 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 that there's going to be a new learning curve to learn all these new teams. And like, thankfully, we had the benefit of a full non-conference worth of, of scouting to see what they do. But you, you mentioned the SEC and the Pac-12. They're honestly the only difference. The only difference between the SEC, the Pac-12, and uh, the Atlantic 10 are the, it's the freshman, one and done talent. That's it. That's it. Um, the juniors and seniors in the A-10 are just as good as the juniors and seniors in the Pac-12 and the SEC. The, the freak of nature DeAndre Aydins, <laughs> thankfully, are what we don't see in the Atlantic 10. You know, you don't, you don't see those guys. You don't see the Tyrese Maxis. Um, you know, the Sharif Cooper, you don't see those guys. But when it comes to the coaches, the programs, the history, it's the same. There isn't a difference. Now, Coach, I, I, I'm, I'm very curious to know, like, just watching you last year, like, you were very active, like, on campus, engaging with students on Twitter, like, going around campus, handing out pizza to people in dorms. Like, that's not something you see from everybody, but from coaches. Like, I, and, and I, I like, I just wonder where that comes from. Like, did you get that from somebody? Like, I, like what made you want? What made you want to be so involved with just the students on campus and and things like that? You know, our students were great. It was our best student uh, attendance since two thousand seven, the year after the Final Four. So I just we need them. We need them. We need. We have a great arena. Uh, we need to invigorate our fan base, and obviously that's done with us winning, um, which we will do. But we we they're great. You know, we're, we're the largest public school in the state of Virginia. You know, so we need those kids at games. We need Fairfax County. We need Northern Virginia at our games. Um, you know, I live in Arlington. I'm going to pull some of my neighbors out to games, you know, more and more. But uh, I, I just think we have a great opportunity. I think Mason is on the cusp of something really, really special. But it's more than just the program. It's the entire athletic department, the entire student body. It's entire city of Fairfax, county of Fairfax, Northern Virginia. I want to pull all of them in, um, you know, because I feel like when it is all together, it, it, it could be something really special. It's been something really special, with, obviously, when Coach Larry Nagel was here. Now, one of the hot topics now in college basketball is NIL, and it's kind of taken over this offseason with, you know, all these guys in the pool are allegedly getting these crazy NIL deals in college basketball, and for you guys, if you guys are going to be at that table and you know, trying to compete with these top 100 guys and things like that, like how do you think George Mason would be able to kind of put together NIL packages in the DMV area that would be able to kind of allow guys to be like, all right, you know, we, maybe we, I don't have to go to Kentucky or to, you know, um, Miami or to get these crazy top NIL deals. Like what has that been like navigating for you? Is that like kind of 
hard as the coach could. Like at the end of the day, your job is to figure out basketball and X's and O's. I feel like, you know, and most coaches have said in this NIL thing, we don't really want to deal with that kind of stuff. How do you approach that? You know, that that whole this kind of new new phenomenon caused basketball. Well, if it is legitimate NIL, the coaches should have nothing to do with it. It, it, it has been said that it should not be used to induce recruiting. So I don't know how companies <laughs> are announcing recruitment or announcing commitments from a player. But so I don't know. I don't know. But uh, it's, uh, it's I, I don't think that these young men should be making basketball decisions solely based on um, the amount of these NIL deals, but it absolutely is a part of it. And we're incredibly thankful here at Mason that we have a group independently run, independent of the athletic department that has taken this by the horn and has presented our guys some tremendous opportunities. You know, our guys are compensated um, just as well, evenly to our opponents. Um, and some of the numbers are fake or lies. Some of the numbers are true. And you really try to find out what the, the truth of that is. And we're competitive with um, guys we're going against. So we feel really good about it. We, we were, were smack dab in the middle of the um, third most wealthy county in the country. You know, so it's, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of wealth in Fairfax County, Loudoun County. Um, we have a, we, we're kicking out the most alumni that, that stay here and live and work in this region. Um, you know, so the, the opportunity is there and, and we're very, very, very fortunate to have the people we have that, that help our players in that regard. And it, I think it's a business opportunity much beyond the dollars and cents, but, you know, ticket games has a, a sponsorship deal, an NIL deal with, uh, the Washington Media Scholars. And I went to a luncheon with them and just the, 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 the people that he's rubbing elbows with and getting to know and meet and are learning the ticket game story, I think is a heck of a whole lot more important than however many thousand dollars he gets um, from that group. You know, Sean Schwartz, their work with Purple Strategies. Um, obviously, Josh, Jimmy K, Chevrolet, and it goes on and on and on. Um, these companies that are partnering with our guys, and they're giving them so much more than just a check. They're giving them knowledge. They're giving them a relationship that I think is going to—I know—is going to you know, benefit them well beyond their their, their plan base. Mm-hmm. I want to get your a quick opinion on, on this uh, tweet that you put up the other day about Maryland public high schools not allowing players to participate in the live period because Drew and I were both public high school players in Maryland. And um, it, was, it was hard. We couldn't play in the events, man. The kids getting the offer. I know you were you had a similar story, man. So I just wanted to get your, your, your quick thoughts on, on that whole scenario. Well, it was, these things weren't around when I was coming up. Um, but I was more so thinking hypothetically, if I was a high school sophomore, junior at Randallstown High School in Maryland, not being able to play at that event at the math room, um, the other day or something like it if they would do it in Baltimore whatever um there's a kid at Gwen Park who was a recruitable player that he couldn't participate and it's it's disappointing that they uh that they, they don't get that, that opportunity um and I think Florida has the same rule but Florida at least allows those kids to go play in Georgia um and Alabama 
so disappointing, ridiculous. I don't get it. I don't know if it's the coaches, the legislature, the MPM, the, the, the Maryland Public School Athletic Administration, whatever it is. But it's, it's, it's quite ridiculous, actually. I can't even put words into it. There's not much reasoning behind it. Uh, obviously, we, we we're running a little bit low on time, so I just want to definitely thank you for coming on today, Coach. And obviously, it was a pleasure watching you in your first year at George Mason, man. And just want to thank you for everything that you've been able to, to do, you know, to help me, even you know, uh, outside of the basketball stuff, man. And uh, I appreciate you for that, man. Thank you for coming on, and obviously, we're gonna be rooting for you uh, this season and, and always going forward. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you both, man. Uh, I love seeing you guys every time because you remind me of my first ever scout at Colorado every time I see you. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Always good times, Coach. A lucky man, win. It was a lucky win. It was hey, man, McKinley Rice, a bad boy. Bad yeah. boy. I, 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 I was crazy, man. I actually saw Coach Boyle in Costa Rica. I played his team on a foreign tour while I was playing. I was, we had this all-star game, and we talked about that shot. Man, he's like, yeah, we should have lost that game, man. So have lost that game. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.